Looks like we're live. All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the city any, of Alameda. I don't have any audio. Can you can you all hear me? Yes. 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 We can hear you. We can Ron. hear board member Curtis as well. Ron, can you hear us? Yeah, I think Mr. Curtis is having trouble with his audio. Okay, well, looks like he just disconnected. Oh, we're back in the practice session. Recording in progress. Okay. okay. I'd like to welcome everyone to the City of Alameda Planning Board meeting for Monday, June. Board member Recording Cisneros? in progress. Here. Curtis? Here. Hom? Here. Rothenberg? Here. Uh, Ruiz has an excused absence. Um, board member Teague? Here. And President Sahaba? Present. And we have a quorum. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll start. Are there any agenda changes or discussion? No agenda, no agenda changes from staff. Okay, thank you. On to the next item, oral communications. Uh, anyone may address the board on a topic that is not on the, on, on the agenda under this item by raising your hand. If you'd like to speak, you'll have three minutes. Do we have any hands raised? Um, no public comment at this time. Okay. So we'll close that and we'll move on to the consent calendar. Um, we have a few items on the consent calendar. Would, would we like to, I guess, pull these to, to further discuss? Or, so, Alan, did, was there anything specific? you? You put them on, uh, they're, they're on the consent calendar for us to be aware that these are coming through. Yes, or or a motion to approve as well. Right, right. Okay. I'll make a motion to approve the consent calendar, 6A and 6B. Okay, any seconds? I'll second. Okay, uh, this motion to approve by board member Hahn, second. Uh, board member Cisneros, why don't we take a vote? Uh, yes, board member Cisneros. Yes. Curtis. Uh, did I see, hear that as an aye, board member Curtis? Aye. Okay, thank you. Um, board member Hom. Aye. Rothenberg. Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Sahaba. Aye. And the 
Motion carries. So the consent calendar is approved. Okay, great. All right, to our regular, uh, next is our regular agenda items, 7A. It's a public workshop to review and comment on the draft zoning amendments to implement for the May 2022 uh, draft housing element. Uh, we have a presentation. Director Yes, uh, President Sahaba, this is Andrew Thomas. Planning Building Transportation Director, I'll, I'll present the item tonight. Tonight's a workshop, no final decisions are needed. This is an opportunity for the planning board and the community to uh, review and comment on the draft zoning amendments um, that uh, staff and the planning board and the community have been working on to implement the draft housing element. Um, before we jump into the housing, the zoning amendments that implement the housing element, um, just a quick update on the housing element itself. So uh, at your last meeting, May 23rd, the planning board saw uh, the proposed revisions to the draft housing element that would be made before submitting it to HCD. Those revisions were in response to a 30-day public review period of the draft housing element as required under state law. Um, and then a few days later, we, we made those changes and submitted it to um, uh, the state of California Department of Housing and Community Development for their review. They will be, they under the statute, they will have 90 days to review the housing element. Um, so we expect to hear back from HCD and, and get their opinion of our draft housing element by late August. Um, a few days after we submitted to um, the state, uh, we received a copy of an email from a Mr. Paul Foreman. Um, he's, Paul's been involved in the housing element update, as you all know. Um, he, it, it was, the email was directly to HCD, requesting that HCD um, uh, refuse to uh, review our housing element because of the process by which um, we had transmitted it to HCD. Mr. Foreman was arguing that they, the city in California cannot send the housing element to the state for review until the city council has officially reviewed it and adopted it, or at least endorsed the, the submittal. So, um, and then secondly, uh, Mr. Foreman made a, a request that HCD reject the entire portion of the H of the housing element that essentially upzones the R1 through R2 and removes measure A from the R1 through R6, excuse me. Um, uh, and so we, um, after consulting with um, our um, internally with the rest of city staff and the city attorney's office, we felt it was important to um, put our response on the record. So today you all received a copy of a letter that the city of Alameda sent to the state of California Department of Housing and Community Development um, stating our position, which is number one, that Mr. Foreman is misinterpreting the law and that a final review and official action by the council is not required. Um, that the council held a public hearing and public workshop to review the housing element approximately 10 days before the end of the comment period where they were fully aware of the process that we were gonna be following. They had every option, opportunity to change that process. And so the council was in, fully aware of what we were doing and how we were doing it. Um, we also addressed Mr. Foreman's um, second issue about the residential upzoning and just made it clear to HCD 
Um, we have that program is in there because we are responding to the letter that we received from HCD about Measure A and its fundamental um, conflicts with fair housing law. But of course, if HCD disagrees that that's necessary um, to remove that from the residential districts, remove Measure A, then the HCD can certainly advise us on that. Now, when they comment on our um, housing element. So uh, you all received a copy of that letter. That letter is public and is available for anybody who's interested. Um, the other development that we're watching closely related to our housing element is um, the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society has submitted an application to the State Office of Historic Preservation to put the McKay property on the National Register. Um, this raises all sorts of questions about the feasibility of the McKay project. So um, if, and of course, as, as the planning board knows, but for the benefit of the public, um, the, of the McKay project, um, a project to provide assisted living for 100 formerly homeless seniors, um, we are counting that project in our housing element as 100 units. Um, if APS is successful and has that project um, listed on the National Register, um, that will certainly raise questions about the economic feasibility of the project. Um, since there's been numerous public hearings here in the city of Alameda, um, where we've discussed this with our historic advisory board and with the city council, everybody knows that saving the buildings, rehabilitating them is not financially viable. So. Um, if on August 5th, the State Office of Historic Preservation um, grants Alameda Architectural Preservation Society's application to list the project as a historic resource, both for the state of California and the National Register, um, that will raise serious questions about the economic financial feasibility of the McKay project. I mean, worst case scenario, if the housing element means we remove 100 units from the McKay site, obviously we'll have to make that up. The only place to make those units up is in the residential districts. Once again, putting more pressure on the need to open up the zoning in the residential districts. So we're watching both of these situations closely. Um, we will keep the planning board and the public up to date um, if anything changes. Um, but essentially, in terms of the housing element, we're waiting till the end of August to uh, hear back from HCD. That will really set the agenda for the city of Alameda and the planning board. Um, that we will, um, at that point, we'll come back to the planning board for any to and recommend any unnecessary changes that HCD requires, um, so that we can have a housing element that can be certified by the state. As the housing, as the planning board knows, but just for the benefit of the public. If the state of California doesn't isn't willing to certify the housing element as adequate, then it is not a useful housing element. So, what the state thinks about our housing element is all important. Um, shifting now to the zoning amendments, which is the subject of tonight's workshop, what we staff our staff team has been working on with the planning board over the last six months on a variety of zoning amendments to address the implementation programs within the housing element. Um, these zoning amendments are primarily designed to encourage housing in different areas. They're summarized in the housing element. 
the planning board and the community has been reviewing pieces of this package over the last six months. So what we felt it was important to do during this period while we're waiting for HCD to review the housing element is to take this opportunity to publish the entire set of amendments in one package so that public and the planning board could see the entire package together um, and to use the months of June and July um, to have public workshops um, on that zoning package. So this is an opportunity for the planning board and the community to sort of fine tune the zoning, um, raise issues for consideration. Um, we won't ask the planning board to make any final decisions on the package of zoning until we've heard back from HCD on the adequacy of the housing element. Because if HCD says we need to push the housing element further, then of course that will mean we have to push the zoning further. If HCD says, hey, it looks like you have a really good set of programs here uh, um, and the zoning changes that we are proposing are described in the housing element, if the state says that looks like a good set of programs, good job, Alameda, keep going, um, that will put us in the position then to come back to the planning board and let you know, hey, we don't think we need to push the zoning any further. Um, we think we've got it just right. But um, with the idea that in October, September, October, we can hopefully put the planning board in the position where you can make your final recommendations on the housing element and any changes necessary to address HCD's comments and the zoning, which implements the housing element, that will put you in the position in sept late September or October to make a final recommendation to the council on both of those items. Um, just, I know the planning board knows this, but for the benefit of the public, the planning board doesn't actually make any of the final decisions on the housing element or the zoning. The planning board's job is to make recommendations to the city council. And your job is to recommend a housing element that you believe is consistent with state law and brings the city into compliance with state law. Of course, the letter from HCD, which is the department at the state that is responsible for advising you on that, um, will be sending you their letter in August, late August. So um, that's sort of the overall where we're at. At this point, I wasn't going to try to present all of the changes in the zoning. Um, staff, Alan, Ty, and myself, Simi Chen, we're here to answer questions about any aspect of the zoning. We know it's a very large package. There's a lot of different um, issues that I'm sure members of the public would like to talk about. Um, we're here to take comments. We're here to answer questions. And if there's areas where the planning board would like to see revisions, um, are, we're, we're more than happy to work on those um, with the idea that we would have another workshop in July. And then late August, we are, the planning board is off in August. Late August, we will hear back from HCD. And then in September, staff will be in the position to then come back to the planning board and say, here, this is what HCD said about our housing element, and here's what we think we need to do to both the housing element and the zoning to bring the city into compliance with state law. So with that, I will end my comments. Uh, Alan, myself, Selena, we're all here to um, help answer any questions and, and take suggestions and ideas for improvements. Andrew, may I add just a couple, uh, two more um, points for the planning board? Uh, number one is um, 
staff will be continuing to work on the zoning amendments through the summer, particularly, um, for example, we are making changes to the ADU ordinance that is tracking a pending uh, Senate bill. I think it's number 897. So, and, you know, un until that legislation passes, usually around the fall, um, we'll, we'll, we'll try to track that and, and align our amendments um, to, to pending state legislation. And then also just with the, with the share amount of amendments that we're making to a zoning ordinance, there's just ongoing work to ensure that everything is syncing up and everything matches. So, um, you know, the, the, the cleanup work will, will continue um, until the very end. So I just want to throw that out there. And I'll just finally add on, <clears throat> public review is super helpful. Planning board and public review is, is very helpful. It's great to get a lot of eyes on this document um, because um, you all might see things that we didn't see. Um, as Alan said, it's a, it's a big and complex set of amendments and there's a lot of interaction between them. So we need to do our best to sync everything up. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Andrew and Alan. All right, so uh, now we'll do board questions and clarifications uh, before we open it up for public comment. Uh, if you'd like to ask a question uh, as uh, any board members, please raise your hand. Uh, board member T. Uh, thank you. Uh, since Director Thomas brought it up, I have a question on the McKay project, which is it does not seem like they've been issued their demolition permit. Has it been judiciary hold or why haven't they gotten their permit? They haven't applied, they haven't applied for it yet. There and the conditions of approval. I mean, it's applying for the demo permit. There are there's work to be done. Um okay. they, I mean there's air district clearances and various things, which were conditions on the demo permit, but um that is certainly something they're working on. So it was all on their side in terms of the delay for getting the permit? Yeah, at this point, all discretionary actions on this project are complete. And the CEQA right. process is complete and the notice of determination is complete. Okay, thank you. I, all of my other questions, I'm just going to pose as commentary, say, please clarify this okay. instead so that we can save time. Okay, thank you. Uh, board member Hong. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Andrew, for the explanation. I just have some um, clarifying questions. I think they're pretty straightforward and, and quick. Um, uh, several questions has to do with, and I saw that some of the zoning uh, standards have been slightly revised and it looks like the, the attempt has been to respond to some of the public comments and concerns. So I see that reflect in the latest version of the zoning code amendment, so proposed amendment. So I think that's that's a good direction. Um, one question I have is, um, and this was a comment that was raised in um, one of the letters too. What is, what's the density, maximum density in the R2? Um, is, is it the one per, May, oh, no, excuse me, for the R1 district. Is it meant, to, because that's not clear to me. I, I know it's set by SB9, but, you know, what? how how was staff interpreting that? I'll, I'll start, and then Alan, please jump in. Um, 
I, I we saw that comment as well in the letters, um, and we were talking about it this afternoon. Yeah, because I, I noticed you added multifamily. That's why. Yeah, it, right. So that was that's in, in the housing element. We talk about multifamily, but I think it's um, we didn't do a lot. We haven't been spending a lot of time on the R one district because um, you know we just went through the, all the SB nine amendments. But I, I think the the comment that we received today in the letter, I think it was. Um, uh, I forget now who it was, but anyway, it's it raises a really interesting question, which I'm not sure we've fully thought through. Which is, oh, it's clear what you can do if you're doing an SB nine application, mm -hmm. right? Right. But what if you're not? Mm -hmm. What if you're just a homeowner and you not you don't want to do the SB nine process, and you just you know what is the density in in the um, in the R one district? If you're an R1 application, we know it's very clear what your density is. If you're not doing SB9, it's less clear. So that's something I think we want to, um, we were talking about today in the office, we want to clean up for the next draft. Um, we just received that letter today. Um, but um, our, our, our thought is just to kind of preview it for you and the public. Um, measure A is 21 units the acre. We've already proposed that the R2 be at 21 units the acre. Under SB9, if you're doing an SB9 application um, in the R1, the density translates to, depending on how you subdivide your property, you can have a property that's 70 units to the acre. So our, our thought is if you're not doing SB9 and if R2 is 21 units the acre, which is essentially measure A, then if you're not doing SB9, maybe we set the um, default density in the R1 at 21 units the acre, similar to the R2. That or or I would say if it's if we leave it alone as drafted, then there is no density limit and the number of units would be uh, dependent on your... Um, you know, buildable envelope based on setbacks, maximum height of 30 feet, lot coverage of 53%, um, and how many units you can fit in a building within that envelope. Essentially taking a form-based approach, right. which is not uncommon with what we've done in a lot of the commercial districts and in the transit overlay sort of zone, um, sort of saying, hey, let's our height, our setbacks, our lot coverage, that determines how many units you can get. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll have comments on that later. Okay. Um, let's see, another question, and this question has to do with the transit overlay district. Um, and this was another comment that I saw in, in the um, one of the comment letters, I think from the Alameda uh, Architectural Preservation Society. And I had the same thought myself, actually. Um, the thousand square feet uh, maximum what, what is the average size of an apartment unit in Alameda? I mean, I know town, uh, for ownership, a thousand certainly would promote the affordability. I'm just wondering what's the average size for an apartment uh, unit, whether a thousand square feet, whether that truly promotes affordable uh, rental units. So that's a question I have out there. I, um... I don't have that number off the top of my head. I'm not sure we do have it. I know we can get average, you know, number of bedrooms because I know, and that's in the housing element in the existing conditions report. Mm -hmm. But what is the average floor area of, you know, units, rental units in Alameda? I'm not sure we know that. 
um, we'd have to sort of speculate based on average number of bedrooms. Uh, maybe somebody else. It looks like uh, yeah. remember T. We could probably look at some recently approved um, projects. And just before I shut my mouth, I mean, I guess the question. I think where you're leading to this, and what the, I saw in the AAPS letter is, is a thousand feet the right threshold, or should we be encouraging something smaller, like nine hundred? Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, we, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm done. Yeah, just in terms of sizes, you're really talking up to a two bedroom unit. Uh, studios, one bedrooms and two bedrooms fit within a thousand. That's, I, I would have said the same thing. Yeah, three bedrooms are almost all, I, I don't know of any three bedrooms that is less than a thousand, but there are definite uh, two bedrooms that are less than a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the question to me is whether a thousand is the right threshold. Yeah. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Can I just interrupt for one, one second? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm just thinking aloud here, but for that transit overlay, that's might be, I'm not, I'm not thinking, I mean, that could be a different way of just presenting it, like not talk about it in terms of square footage, but talk about it in terms of, of bedrooms. I mean, if everybody agrees, okay, we want to encourage two bedrooms and one bedrooms, but we're not sure whether a thousand feet is the right number, um, we could rewrite that section. So it says, as long as all your units are one or two bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Though I guess the question would be, you know, large family households, you know, or it's also a special need category. Anyway, um, yeah, just, just raising the question for now. Uh, another question is I saw across the board um, from uh, maybe R1 also, but from R2 to R6, the same building coverage, it, actually R6 is a little bit higher at 60%, but it's 53%. I guess my question is, given the proposed densities, whether that building coverage might turn out to be kind of restrictive uh, for the higher density zones, because usually you see maybe a sliding scale that is kind of correlated with density. So uh, just question is, first of all, number one is where did the 53% come from? Because that's quite, you know, specific. And um, do you can staff consider a sliding scale? I'll just jump in and then Alan, please um, add on. Um, we looked at the different plot coverages in the different districts. And what we noticed first all off, there was pretty consistent lot coverage between R1 and R5, which was, you know, for something like 48%, unless you have a, unless you have a attached garage, in which case it's 53%. And what the staff team, what we, we sat around and we thought about it and we talked about it and we're like, well, if we're okay with 53% for people who are providing housing and storing cars, why aren't we okay with 53% if they just wanna have room for people to live? Um, so we just sort of said, well, the standard is maximum lot coverage in these districts today is 53%, but the provision currently is you can only get to 53% if you wanna store cars. We said, let's, let's just change it to 53% period and not have that precondition of, you know, you're storing two cars to get 
Um, and then, you know, the R6 is already at 60%. Um, and that was the extent of our analysis. Um, I think there was, you know, we have as the staff team, we've talked a little bit about exactly what you described. We haven't had a ton of time to really kind of think about what is that range, that sliding scale, but today in the R1, it's 53%, and today in the R6, it's 60%. So historically, Alameda hasn't um, had a huge variety in, in lot coverage. Yeah. We, the last thing I'll say to this is, the other thing that we've talked about internally is that's not a big range. The lot coverage may end up being the big, most fundamental constraint on somebody's ability to add housing. Do we want to change those? And if we're going to change them, may, where would we want to change them? And we started thinking, well, maybe it's in that transit overlay section. Maybe that's where we want to change it rather than coming up with a sliding scale. R1 is 53, R2 is 54, R3 is 56, R7, or, you know, this is sort of very regimented. And so what we started thinking about is in the, in, the multi, in the transit overlay, what we say is if your units are small, we'll waive the open space requirements, the density requirements. Um, one of the things we've been thinking about and talking about is in the transit overlay, should we be waiving or adjusting the lot coverage requirements? And I just, I give you that long story just to let you know um, the staff has been wondering the same thing. And uh, to be completely honest, we haven't yeah. totally figured it out yet. Um, and any thoughts, ideas about that, yeah. we would appreciate. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Another question is, I saw that you added minimums. Uh, this is two questions regarding the commercial districts, and then I'm done. Um, I saw that you added minimum square footage for each one of the uh, CMU MF uh, shopping center sites. Um, what would be helpful for me is to know what is the existing square footage of each one of the shopping centers so that I get a sense of what percentage of the retail does, you know, the various minimum square footage, how it relates to existing uh, retail. Oh. So maybe the next, next iteration, unless you have the information today, you can provide that to us. I think it would be helpful for the next iteration for us to be very, very specific about that. But I can tell you right off the bat, because um, I don't have the exact numbers, but we did look at a couple of them very specifically. Um, and, um, you know, Harbor Bay is at currently at 114,000 square feet. We set the standard at 100,000 square feet. And one of the factors that was in our mind is um, we, and I think we need to be aware of when we talk about that is, in our zoning amendment, we're saying it has to be retail, retail commercial, not office, not, not, you know, something like that. It's got to be retail um, as defined by our zoning code. So um, that's why we, we felt like, well, there's some other things going on in these shopping centers. Um, you know, South Shore Shopping Center is just over 500,000 square feet today. So we sort of, we were trying to do two things. Think about how many, how much is actually there today, you know, and then sort of think ahead 20 years, 30 years. Yes, we want housing on these sites, but 
if we get to do all housing and don't preserve the shopping centers, the retail, then we haven't done ourselves any favors. So we were sort of thinking about, okay, South Shore is about 40 acres, about 400,000 square feet seemed like a good sort of threshold. There's about 500 there total today. Uh, Marine uh, Harbor Bay at the low end is just under 10 acres, has about 100,000. So, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't just set a fixed ratio. We could, you know, number of square feet per acre, um, but we sort of tried to customize it a little bit to each shopping center because each shopping center is really different. Yeah, yeah, no, and that what makes, we, yeah. That and what fun. we were trying to do here is um, guarantee the a certain amount of retail spaces and have that guarantee in place before we allow um, the residential development. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that will increase the confidence level. And too. so we're we're looking for feedback on how to how to ensure that that guarantee is there. I mean, one of the concerns I think staff has is that residential developer comes in, builds the housing, and then not want to do the retail. So mm -hmm. that kind of undermines the whole purpose of a of a, a shopping center district as sort of the base district yeah. added yeah. on. Um, and you just one last that, quick and that will be that. a pressure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and so what we've tried to draft here, and what you'll see if you read this carefully, and we're still, you know, we can still fine tune this. Is what we're really saying is, if you own land in this shopping center multifamily overlay, you're entitled to build housing, provided that there's actually a shopping center there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No shopping center, no housing. Yeah. So it's in your best interest to keep the minimum number of square feet of existing. And we're not asking that you necessarily build more. We're just saying you've got to keep at least this minimum amount of, footage, of square footage in play, reserved for retail, and there has to be at least a grocery store. Oh, I like that you added those, that additional layer in. My final question, this is probably a pretty simple question. Um, in the CMU MF, you state that the, I see the height limit is 65 feet or greater if there's an additional district that has greater. I'm not aware that you guys are proposing anything over 65 feet now. So, I mean, it seems like CMU is now the highest height limit, 65 feet. So, well, so is there, is there, am I missing something? That's there a district that allows more than 65 feet? Yeah, so I can answer that. I think currently our C2 district, the height limit is 100 feet. So our, oh, our okay. statement here is that, hey, if, if there's already a zoning district that allows a height taller than 65, then this is not intended to reduce the height. Okay, limit. so 6C2 is 100 foot. Okay. Okay. I was wondering. Those are my questions. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Board Member Hahn. Board Member Curtis. Good evening. I have a, a simple question regarding the McKay Avenue property. Um, here we are at the eleventh hour, and we're filing for a historical status. What would they? What would the building be used for if it? got the historical status. Well, that's why we don't, that's I mean, why it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me at this point, other than a stalling technique, that, that in a point in time that with the inflation that we're having and wanting to get the thing started, so how soon will we know whether what the status is? Well, the, the hearing at the, in Sacramento is scheduled for August 5th. Um, 
I can, in terms of why, why would you do this? Well, uh, it's, I don't know why anybody would do this, but I can only assume that it's being done to try to prevent that project from going forward. Um, that project has been very clear that they need to, that the, it's financially not viable to reuse those buildings. That's what all those hearings were about. Um, we've had those hearings. Um, the Historic Advisory Board granted the approval to, 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 they, to um, remove the buildings. The council upheld that decision. Um, so now the folks who have been trying to prevent that project are trying to go above the council's head and go to Sacramento and get it done at that level. So it's, it's not the Historical Society that's done the application? It is. The Alameda Architectural Preservation Society is the applicant. But they had no objection in the past. I, I, I can't answer that okay, question. I, 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 it just boggles my mind that, that, that this would, would do something like this that provides a lot of good rather than having the damn buildings lay fallow. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to us either. Okay, I'm done. Thank you, Board Member Chris. Uh, any other questions from the board or clarifications before public comment? No? Okay, let's open this up for public comment. If you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand. You'll have three minutes. Uh, could we please have the first speaker? Yes, we have Karen Bay. Good evening, um, planning board members, uh, President Sahaba, uh, staff. Um, a retail leakage study was completed in 2002 showing that Alameda residents spent 200 million annually outside of the city. That study was done 20 years ago. Consider what Alameda residents are spending today. We made significant progress capturing that leakage after the study, but I'm concerned that some of the retail zoning changes can reverse some of our progress and perhaps even void some of the retail gains that we made in the 2040 general plan. So I've made a couple of four, four recommendations. Um, the first one is to increase ground floor retail art uh, requirements to 70% in the C1 uh, CC park districts, West park and Webster districts. The current draft zoning codes allows shopping centers to combine or convert the smaller format stores into one larger big box format, um, which would increase retail revenues, but we stand the chance of losing some of the smaller format stores. And so I wanna make sure that we don't lose them and that we capture them. We can include them in the C1, C, C Park Street districts. Um, and so it's important that we have a we retain a significant requirement, uh, ground floor retirement in those districts. Um, number two, do not allow ground floor residential retail. I mean, that's just the total opposite of what we tried to accomplish in the general plan and what we're trying to ac accomplish in terms of not um, 
creating retail leakage. So um, number three, to update the 2002 retail leakage study and use this study as part of our current economic development strategy going forward. Finally, once we give up the retail gains that we have made and the retail leakage that we have recaptured, once we give that up, we cannot give it back. So it's very important that we understand what we're giving up um, before we actually give it up in these new zoning changes. Um, so uh, those are my comments. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, could we have the next speaker, please? We have no, uh, no other, oh, we have uh, one more, Christopher Buckley. Okay. Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. We sent you a letter, uh, another letter, and uh, I'd like to go over some of the points. The uh, letter reiterates some of our previous comments, which you know, are not reflected in the current draft. And we really weren't expecting that, but we thought we would reiterate them anyway. Um, you know, basically, we still think that these proposals go beyond what is needed to meet the arena and the fair housing requirements. But the comments I was going to be submitting today focus on um, some details of the current proposals as well as some additional ideas. And um, I had requested a screen share. Um, could we get that started? And while we're waiting for that, I'll start going over some of the comments. Uh, the first comment that I was going to present, uh, which concerns the uh, what's now called the um, the um, transit-oriented housing waiver, uh, as opposed to overlay, and uh, there here is a, a map that staff prepared for the HAB's June meeting, which shows the boundary in the yellow line of what the quarter mile of high-quality transit routes looks like, and the way this is written in the draft zoning text, it simply describes a transit overlay as a quarter mile from a bus route, but there's no reference to mapping. And we're concerned that if AC transit uh, changes the bus routes, either adding one, deleting one, changing, reducing the 15 minute headway or whatever, that would automatically change the zoning map. So that basically the mapping of this waiver overlay is dependent upon AC transit actions. So, you know, we would like to ask staff to clarify the operation of that. You know, our recommendation is, you know, show it on the map. And this way, users of the zoning ordinance will be able to see just where this overlay, I'm going to keep calling it an overlay rather than a waiver, where it actually applies. So that, that's, a, that's the first comment. Uh, and also, we, but we do appreciate the mentioning of unit size discussion. So thank you for that. Um, second comment concerns uh, Webster Street height limits. We appreciate the reduction of the uh, trigger for the 15 foot setback to 40 feet. We still think it should be 40 feet south of Lincoln, but maybe do 60 feet without the setback north of Lincoln. Um, we're also suggesting that in residential areas where you have where we might have taller buildings require a certain part of the building to be within the roof envelope 
to mitigate you know bulk so we don't have big boxes that are say 50 feet tall and maybe set a limit of 35 feet above that it's part of the roof thank you thank you next speaker please Okay, we have Carmen Reed. Good evening, planning board members. Um, I appreciate all of your work uh, with the housing element document. Um, I would also like to lend my support um, uh, to recommend uh, the uh, submissions by the, uh, by the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. And I respectfully ask that you adopt um, these uh, suggestions and recommendations. The radical increased density that's proposed by staff is grossly inconsistent with Article 26 and the concerns of many residents of the development overgrowth um, without designing transportation infrastructure for our, for our island. This is very concerning. Many of us attended recent public meetings where residents expressed their serious concerns. Watching this meeting tonight, it appears that staff is essentially ignoring the public, which is counter to the purpose of soliciting public comment to adopt their suggestions. Furthermore, the transit, the transit overlay map that Mr. Christopher Buckley just uh, showed with the one quarter mile from the bus route would adversely affect density um, of the majority of the island. And this is just too much of a blanket overlay. And, uh, and once again, I respectfully ask that you remove this overlay from the housing element document. It's unnecessary to blanket up zone in this already very dense and, um, uh, and residential area. Also, I'd like to comment on uh, what, what, um, what planning board member, um, Mr. Curtis asked regarding the McKay Avenue project uh, and for others who asked questions. A historical designation of that property would not prevent a project from adaptively reusing the historic buildings. The ballot measure language that was brought forth to the voters specifically stated reuse of federal buildings. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Yeah, Jay Garfunkel. Good evening. Uh, to a certain extent, I want to echo what uh, Mr. Buckley and Ms. Uh, Reed commented on. Uh, I'll, first, let me mention the, the McKay project. The State uh, uh, Historical Resources Board was not supposed to pay any attention to political considerations. However, the mayor and uh, uh, various Democratic uh, Democrat politicians weighed in on it and convinced the state staff against their rules to uh, uh, block consideration of the historic designation. That's just in passing. Um, I'm concerned that you, yeah, funny, Mr. Curtis. Uh, I'm concerned that the wide traffic uh, transportation consideration, I believe that's inappropriate because AC Transit can change that at any time. Uh, and then meanwhile, the, uh, the zoning is locked in place. And I think that's inappropriate. I also believe that the planning board's job 
is to optimize uh, city planning for the welfare and well-being, uh, quality of life for the citizens of Alameda, the residents and the owners and the renters. I do not believe you are doing that at all. Everything you've done seems to be aimed at complying with the wishes of the politicians. I would encourage you to put the welfare of the citizens of Alameda ahead of the welfare of the politicians. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. We have Faye Adelstein. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, yes, I, I'd like to echo what uh, Mr. Gar Garfinkel just said about the, the issue of quality of life. I do think this is a major concern for many Alamedans. And, um, you know, if, if people don't have uh, backyards, um, I guess they can go to the park, but you know, the park, the parks are great here, but they're really crowded. I don't know if you all go to the parks. Um, I did not prepare comments, but I've read the, the letter prepared by the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society and I am in support of their position. And then you know, the last thing I do wanna say is regarding McKay, um that project was sold on the reuse of the buildings so that appeared to be a type of bait and switch that went on and finally if you all work for the state then what's the point of having you here i mean who's paying your who's paying you why do we need a panel of people that work for the state to decide uh, the future of Alameda. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have a uh, speaker, Zach Bowling. Uh, evening planning board uh, stepped away from the Warriors game to make a quick comment. Um, uh, things are uh, uh, going great in the game so far. Well, they were. Um, <laughs> I just want to thank you guys for um, all the work that you've done uh, so far with uh, bringing this forward. Um, and just wanted to say, I think we're in a really good place. Um, I think in a perfect world, I wouldn't do the MF overlays. I would just do um, a straight up zoning on all the C2 properties. Um, but regardless, this is still um, great amendments from staff and uh, I highly, um, uh, or I'm very much behind um, all the changes that I've made so far. Um, and wanted to say, I think this is probably the best way to meet our obligation under state law, but also our obligation to our community and to our children um, to have the space available to live in our community. So um, I just wanna uh, give a shout out to staff um, for preparing um, all of this and um, all of your work so far. So I'm gonna leave it at that, thank you. Thank you, next speaker. We have Josh Geyer. Hi, uh, good evening, members of the planning board. Um, well, um, you know, as usual, thank you to the planning board. Thank you to city staff um, and um, director Thomas for your excellent work. Um, I, you know, if, if AC transit 
decides to reroute the 20 and the 21 and the 51A and the in the O uh, from their their routes through the city that they've that they've always had. Um, we actually have we can have city council vote on a rezoning to, to to adjust for that. It's not locked in place. They can vote, they can rezone just as they will be rezoning with with these amendments. So you know not not to worry if if some some something completely unprecedented happens with AC transit and suddenly there's no more bus service we could we can um, address that situation when it happens um, I'm really resisting commenting on the McKay Ave issue because I know that that's not that's not for this agenda item um, but I will just say that I find it shameful that people are, have gone through such an, a, a huge and sustained and vociferous effort to deny housing to medically frail elderly people. I find it it's shameful and it's, it's the people should be ashamed of themselves. Um, that's all, thank you very much. Yeah, next speaker, please. Yes, um, Faye Adelson again with her hand up. And other than that, um, oh, she's okay. Uh, if she's if if they've already spoken, then, uh, okay. um, then the, there is no more um, public comment. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry, someone just put their hand up. It's uh, Nanette Geller. Okay. Hi, Planning Board. Um, can you hear me? Okay, good. Um, um, first of all, thank you for the work that you do. I feel like you guys are up against such a conflict between Article 26 and what the state is requiring that you do. Um, and on this, you know, this island is already so uh, highly densely populated that you've got to squeeze a lot of people into a pretty tiny lot of land. Um, I live in the um, North um, Park Street Gateway area. Um, and as you can see from the zoning map, um, we're just, it's a hot mess in that area. It's anything's open. And we feel like we want some limitations uh, in our neighborhood, um, especially since uh, there's residential uh, housing in this area and people who've lived here a long time. Um, we are one of the last neighborhoods where a house was bulldozed. Housing was bulldozed for parking lot. And I can see with these really loose regulations that you've made that developers are just going to come in and um, we're going to start seeing things bulldozed and these high density and high structures uh, right now, uh, I would be looking at whatever is being planned um, at the corner of uh, the, the subpar. Um, that structure would probably look down into my backyard. Um, and there's no, in this area, we've got uh, parking limitations. Um, I already, most of these houses have one parking space to zero parking spaces. And um, one of us has to park out on the street. And usually there's never anywhere to park because now we've got all the workers from all the buildings. So this this, this neighborhood really doesn't have the uh, capacity to handle 
a uh, hundred units of parking. Um, so I just would like some considerations in the density and the height limits in just in our area, especially in the residential, the mixed used and the workplace. Thank you for considering. Thank you. Any more speakers? Yeah, we have Melissa Donahue. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm going to be very quick. Um, I just want to reiterate what Nanette said. Um, we both are in the same district in the wedge, um, or as we would call the North Park Street district. And um, that is our greatest concern um, that as we look at these plans, I know that you guys are trying to put enough housing for um, what is required from the state. And that is a challenge. And it's not that we don't want more people in our neighborhood, we would love that. But we also want to make sure that you're considering parking when you're putting in housing, that there is at least two parking spots per every house that, or every unit that you're putting in because couples tend to each have their own car. And it's, it is, you know, somewhat of a fantasy if we believe that everyone is going to be um, taking a bike to work or using transportation, um, public transportation to get to work or to get to wherever they need to. Most families that have children need to have their own vehicle. Um, when I had a baby, I'd always take my own car because it was impossible to get around if I wanted to have a bike around with a baby, right? And it, we're not the Netherlands. Um, so we would really ask that you consider that because we want to make the quality of life for families in Alameda um, reasonable um, with the parking and with outside space. Um, and, and I think that even people that are moving in and need housing also need those considerations. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think that will close the public comment period for this item. Now we'll go to uh, board deliberations and commentary. Uh, board member T. Thank you. Uh, thank you, staff. Thank you, everyone, for speaking. I want to clarify what a planning board member is. We're all residents of the city of Alameda. We all have to apply to the mayor, go through an interview process, usually talk to all of the different council members, and then the city council votes as to whether they would like to appoint us to this board as a volunteer. There is no pay. There are many, many hours of work that is done by each and every one of us in preparation for these meetings. There are sub-meetings, there are site visits, and we do all of this for the betterment of Alameda, you know, to the best of our abilities. This, this is in no way a paid position. 
certain certain times it is a very thankless job. So the staff, they're doing everything they can for the city of Alameda, who's there for the citizens. And so, you know, it, let's just be clear that that is where we are. So I'm not going to talk about McKay. I've said plenty about that in the past. Um, instead, I'm going to go through the uh, very detailed comments on the uh, zoning, Andrew. So feel free to take notes. I'm not, I'm going to ask some questions, but it really it means you need to clarify this in the document. I don't need to know the answer tonight, but when it comes back, I do want to know the answer then. Is that okay? I, I'm just trying to keep the meeting going as opposed to uh, have a lot of back and forth. Okay, on page three, we talk about building height. Thank you very much for clarifying the craziness that was there to be uh, what is very sane and done throughout other jurisdictions, which is, well, what's the highest point from the grade to the highest point of the roof? You know, it could be, it may not even be the highest point because the lower point could be deeper. That's building height. And that's what's done in many places. Thank you for fixing that. I really... Uh, appreciate that. In the definitions on page five, when we talk about dwelling multiple family, one comment about multiple family is we have multifamily, we have multiple family, we have multiple dash family. So I'm sure you will make it consistent when you get to it. Uh, but it is used in many different ways throughout the document. So let's settle on one. And in terms of the definition of dwelling multiple family, it seems like it should say excludes residential care facility as that is seemingly a different thing. And the same question would apply to shared living is how does shared living, residential care facilities and dwelling multifamily all interact? Are they independent entities? Uh, so uh, we really need to clarify that because we talk about it in other places and they, they kind of conflict. So let's clarify that up. Um, as you know, I kind of have this problem of one kitchen, one family kind of situation, but in our definition of kitchen, we make it such that kitchenettes, uh, don't count as kitchens, meaning a kitchenette that has a 110, no gas line is not a kitchen. And so we can do that kind of thing. And I did research and find out that there are actually in small induction stovetops that are 110. And in terms of uh, optimizing electrical use, we need to be able to support that. So, and there are actually small wall ovens that are 110. So you could actually have a kitchenette. So I'm I'm okay with that. Under family, uh, we didn't change the common use of all living, but I think under shared use, we 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 talk about it that it has doesn't have to be all living areas. And so I think that's probably okay to leave that all living as opposed to changing it to something like some living kitchen and eating areas. Um, so I'm okay with that. I did like you to think about whether we should be copying the definitions for high quality transit corridor from state code into our own code as opposed to referring to the state code uh, so that as the state modifies it, we can fix that. Um, 
on page nine, we struck out at the very top, we struck out living quarters. We also struck out loading area and they were like merged together into one paragraph. And I'm not sure that we meant to strike out loading area. So because they're all merged together in one paragraph, we should check and make sure about that. The major transit stopped the same comment in regards to um, what I was saying about the state law definition. Under senior housing on page 12, we bring up a new term, residential unit. And it's like, well, how does that relate to dwelling unit? How does that relate to residential care? You know, so we, we need to clarify exactly what we mean in that. So um, I like the shared living, but the, the comment about, well, how does it relate to dwelling unit really matters. Um, the, the target population, I assume when it says per government code, and then the following definition is, that is the government code that you're just copying in. And if that's what we're doing, we should maybe do that for the other items. We did the same thing for transitional housing and that that all uh, looks, looks good. Um, in R1, uh, use is permitted. We, we put in multiple family dwellings into that section that seemingly is SB9. Uh, but SB9 is not about multiple family dwellings. It's about duplexes and stuff like that. So I got a little confused as to what was what, and then the what was brought up by board member Hom in terms of what is the maximum residential density in an R1 came into play. You know, I, I'm if it's 21 per acre, I'm okay with that. Um, but what isn't clear, and I looked through everything I possibly could find, and I may have missed it. So if you could clarify for next time, someone owns a large house mansion in the Gold Coast, and they want to divide it into multiple units, and it's not X density. I didn't. We talked about saying within the existing form they could do it, but I don't find that anywhere in here. So. You may say, oh, it's in the ADU, but I'm going to talk about the ADU in just a moment. Uh, in both, in starting in the uh, R2 area, um, when we talk about the residential density, uh, in the beginning, we say basically one dwelling unit per X thousand square feet. But later on, we say, X units per acre or X per thousand square feet or whatever. We should be consistent. So we should do it everywhere the same, please. Uh, Miss Bay brought up an excellent point and it definitely resonated with me in terms of trying to preserve our residential, I mean, our retail on the ground floor. And so on page 35, when we talk about the 50%, I think that number is is uh, too high. I think that we really should be trying to protect that retail area. Um, in like when I go through uh, Emeryville, the Emery Bay area, you know, I'm not seeing uh, very much on the ground floor related to the housing above it. Um, you know, and we are giving quite a bit of of 
density and availability to build above it, saying, well, yeah, we want you to build above it and we want you to build a lot above it. You know, so I, I think that's not unreasonable to ask. I have been thinking really long and hard about the transit-oriented housing waiver section. And I really wanna think about looking at it in a different way, uh, ma mainly as transit access housing. And on a side comment, instead of the thousand square foot, something like no larger than two bedrooms and no more then 50% of the units being two bedrooms is something I would propose so that we get a mix of one and two bedrooms, uh, not all two bedrooms, because that would be what would rent for the most. What I'm thinking is, I, I don't really want to leave our zoning in the hands of AC Transit is, and, and as you know, I am not in favor of the one quarter. I want to just say parcels on existing high transit, which we will call out, like Santa Clara between Park and Webster. Uh, and I want to add in our wide streets. So Lincoln, where it's four lanes. Uh, Encinal, where it's four lanes. Otis, where it's four lanes. All of the areas where we have four lane roads, those areas, I think, um, all of the parcels adjoining those areas, we should be giving this additional capability to. Those are areas which can easily adapt to having a taller area because it is a wider road. Um, and those are areas where transit is a lot more accessible. And that gives us not as much area as the quarter, but it gives us more than just the lines. So I would like to look at it in terms of defining the areas by Santa Clara between X and Y, Lincoln between this and that, Encinal, you can even do Park Street and Webster Street, I, I, that may work that way. But that gives us the ability to, if we need, if they move a bus line, we can add or remove streets from those. So it is, fully adaptable, and we know what it is. For example, Ralph Apposado, all the whole thing, you know, definitely. If someone wants to do something along there, sure. Wherever we have four lane roads, I think we should be looking at being able to enable more housing along those areas. Even if that four lane has been converted to two by our diet, the road is still wide enough to be able to handle it. And, and I think that, I, I, I really feel very strongly about that uh, aspect. Um, in terms of the ADU, I read through it and the one piece that really stands out to me that I, that I really hate is on page 77, C1B, uh, multifamily lots is that we do not allow the creation of accessory dwelling units from habitable space. So if you have a giant house and you want to divide it up, too bad, it's habitable, can't. So um, I would be towards not having that habitable space requirement. If someone wants to divide up some units and they're not, you know, uh, 
eliminating the housing for an existing tenant. Uh, so they're not impacting existing tenant in that regards. I, I think we should absolutely support that. Um, and I think that could help us in terms of what we're, when I talk about the Gold Coast and having the big houses, be able to have four or five units um, that could do it. So uh, thank you. That's, those are my comments. Thank you. Board Member Curtis. I just I just have a, a couple of comments. My first, I want to thank um, my my colleague Alan Pig for explaining the position of each one of us with regard to how we got on this board. Um, but you know, as a planning board member, we we have three basic elements that we get in order to do the best that we can for the city of Alameda. One is the hard work that the city staff does under some very, very difficult conditions. The city staff has to comply with, with governmental mandates and do things in order to comply within state laws. And at this time, it's very, very challenging. On the other hand, you've got the input from, from Mr. Buckley's group, the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society, whose primary concern is really the quality of life and the, the existing um, ambience of the city of Alameda as, it, as, it, as it's presented. And then you've got the input of the public who have various desires coming from low cost housing to maintaining the status quo, from rigidness to equity. And all of these inputs have to be balanced to come out with an agreement with, with a document that satisfies all aspects of, of what has to be done. And that basically summarizes the job of this of this board. But I would I've, I've looked at all the input and I think that that there isn't enough there, there should be more emphasis given to the quality of life. And the way that that's done is to pay hard attention to what what the architectural the Alameda Architectural Society and our citizens, have come in with, not to the point of eroding the, the, the objectives of what we need to do to comply with the state. But from the city's perspective sometimes, or from the staff's perspective sometimes, we tend to give ourselves a cushion to provide housing, 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 and sometimes that can encroach on the quality of life. And all I'm saying is that, that everybody should really appreciate how difficult it is to get a document like the housing element that satisfies everybody and what they have to do. And I think that everybody's worked hard, regardless of some of the accusations that have been tonight to get this done. And I'm really a proud, proud to be a member of this board. And I have to say that I'm really proud of our staff, each and every one of them and every member of this board. So that's my comments. Thank you. Thank you, board member Cisneros. Yeah, um, thanks uh, so much for the um, overview for the zoning draft changes and um, to the public for their comments. And I want to thank um, both um, board member Teague and board member Curtis for their comments about um, what it could be a challenging um, position to be in sometimes. And we are volunteers. We don't work for the state. So I just 
um, really want to uh, thanks for um, uh, reminding the public about that and also share our gratitude to our staff because um, it is a challenge and you can't make everyone happy <laughs> doing this job. Um, besides that, there were just a, a couple of like themes that were brought up, but I just wanted to um, respond to. Um, definitely appreciate wanting to prevent further retail leakage. So to the extent that we could look at that language to encourage that small scale uh, retail, small ma-pa shops. Um, I love for us to think about that a little bit further. I don't have the answers for that, but it's just resonated with me as well as a priority for us as a community. Um, and for um, the, the density for R1, um, I, I also want to think about that a little bit more, but the form base actually seems like an interesting concept. So um, as opposed to maybe having it match the R2, that's um, something I want to explore a little bit further. Um, and then with the transit overlay, like the speaker said um, in her comments, we're not the Netherlands, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, I think that's too bad. Um, I think that's the reason why that we're encouraging the family housing um, away from the transit stops. Uh, we're not there yet. And therefore we are thinking about what small size or the right size or right size to encourage transit use. So I do like the direction where we're going and perhaps we need to, um, again, uh, to board member Hans uh, questioning, think about like what do or and what board member Teak said, like maybe think about it um, in terms of bedrooms or, and instead of square footage. Um, and I did have, you know, I I understand I appreciate the struggle about you know whether or not to have a map and not have us follow AC transit routes. Um, like, but again, like, do we want to also have that flexibility so we are taking advantage of a of a new transit line further on and. I'm being maybe way too optimistic here, but maybe when we have BART <laughs> at some point in the future. So that is a, uh, a comment I did want to add, perhaps. I, I didn't see train in there um, in terms of the high um, quality transit. So, you know, we could dream <laughs> and maybe consider that. Um, and, uh, oh, and, in terms of the ADU definition, um, I think Freddie Mac, um, uh, one of the GSEs, finally put it in as one of their glossary um, words, and it hasn't been in there for a long time. So I do wonder if we want to take a look at that language and consider it when we're updating the zoning amendments, um, when we're finalizing it, and just make sure there's alignment. And then um, just because it was brought up, I know it's not really the top, the agenda topic, but uh, I'm also really um, disheartened and beyond, to be honest, I was pretty emotional hearing about the McKay um, project um, filing for this designation uh, because like what is so um, blatantly trying to do with this project and it's such an important project um, and uh, from what I remember from the language of that measure, uh, the intent was to help those who are most vulnerable in our community, and it was to do so in a way that would uh, 
lead to cost savings. And what that means in this instance is to um, demolish those buildings and build it in a way for those who need it most. So we're gonna occupy those units, not, not rehab it. So um, yeah, I just wanted to comment on that and just express um, how disappointed I am. Uh, those are all my comments. Thank you, board member Hall. Thank you. Um, thank you staff for all the work on the zoning code. I know it has evolved quite a bit from the early days and I do really see that staff has tried to listen to both sides of the, the arguments for the zoning code and it's a tough situation to be in trying, you know, there's, you're not gonna satisfy both sides because just looking at the two major letters we received is both extreme uh, positions, you know. Uh, from from one letter to the other. Um, I, I, first of all, I wanted to start off just by piggybacking onto what my fellow board members said about what our role is. Uh, I think everything that was said is really well stated. Uh, the only other thing I want to add is that it may appear that the state dictates what each city can do, and it may appear that increasingly so that's the case. But I, I know that the cities still have quite a bit of discretion in their local decision-making. So certainly there's a very important role for cities to have a land use transportation function as well as for city council, because a lot of decisions, though it may appear otherwise, are not dictated by the state. So we, there's a lot of local discretion involved. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Um, as far as my specific comments the, on the zoning code, I'll, I'll kind of try to summarize them by area. First, regarding the R1 through R6 districts, um, I do think that somehow some maximum density, whether it's de defined by form-based or a density number, I think that needs to be defined because I think it'll be confusing for people or I could just see you guys at the counter trying to explain the, to, a, to a homeowner. And it doesn't bother me that the SB9 allows 70 units per acre because that's really kind of an exception to promote affordable housing. But if someone wants to do something that doesn't comply with SB9 and not produce affordable housing, then there should be a much lower density whether it's 21 or less so that SB9 becomes an incentive to provide affordable housing within that zoning district. I think HCD will kind of hopefully see that as kind of a built-in incentive. Um, I Just a minor thing, I, I like that in each one of the zoning districts, you've kind of defined um, units per acre and also you know maximum square foot per unit. I, I think it would be nice to kind of state that in all districts. I see that you, generally did it in all of them, but not in maybe R2 and R3. I think it just makes it, you could kind of compare them across the board. Um, I would take a look at the building coverage, a standard, and uh, let me kind of take a minute to tell, say why. In my experience, and maybe not in Alameda, this is not the case, but in, in other cities, um, because of the economics, maybe a little bit more favorable, structured parking is becoming very common, you know, ground floor parking or even underground parking. And my experience is that zoning codes did not take that into account. So, so that the building coverage ends up being higher than uh, what, you know, standard zoning. 
So what, what I've done in the past is we've amended the Sony code to allow for a higher building coverage for uh, where there's structured parking involved. And especially with the reduced parking requirements um, in the transit zones where there's only one parking space per unit. And also with stacked parking, you know, parking lifts, just, I'm just thinking, think about the need for flexibility because otherwise you're promoting surface parking and taller buildings when per perhaps a, um, the same number of units can be spread out with a higher building coverage and may be considered more compatible with adjacent lower density housing. So I just kind of throw that out there for consideration. There's no magic pill on what's really perfect, but something to think about. It's just something I've run into as a constraint. But 53 and 60 is certainly not, um, I mean, I'm used to seeing, having to deal with where the building coverage is 35 and 40, and it really becomes an issue for higher density housing. Um, let's see, then going on to the uh, transit overlay waiver. Um, I, I like the idea of having the transit overlay waiver. I do like it focused on the transit corridors because that seems to fit the goal of encouraging housing where they're assisting transit. The concern that God, maybe these transit routes will go away I think these major routes that are that you've defined, they're not going to go away. Those are really the, the high um, transit corridors. So maybe some of the low side routes would disappear or get added, but I think that they're pretty much here to stay in the long run. I mean, they may disappear, but so I I also I do support the idea of better defining, you know, the area where the quarter mile lies so that um, homeowners and developers, property owners, developers kind of know uh, what areas are subject to the, the transit overlay waiver. So I do support that comment there. Uh, and, you know, the first comment was, well, what if they go away? Well, or maybe another one gets added. Well, then that's a zone change that to be considered in the future. There's a major corridor for transit being proposed. Um, I do... One of the concerns I have for the transit overlay is the thousand foot square foot. In my experience, when, when I see thousand foot apartments, except for three bedrooms, which are rare, they're kind of like advertised as luxury apartments, you know, and because a thousand square foot is pretty large for a one and two bedroom. Um, I like some of the ideas that uh, board member Teague mentioned, but one suggestion I might say is, you know, lower the minimum square footage because the whole idea is promote affordable units. And I'm not sure a thousand square foot really does that. So maybe something like 800 square feet um, and then allow for an exception for three bedroom units because you do want to promote some larger family household possibilities along the transit corridor. The other thing I would um, look at is because as long as transit corridor were there, there should also be stricter TDM or transit requirements beyond citywide standards. I, I know Alameda has some really good uh, TDM and transit requirements, so that's good. So the question is whether we even want more for these corridors that have the advantage of uh, good transit access. And then another final thought about the um, transit overlay waiver is because these are taller, higher density buildings, maybe there needs to be some form base, additional form base or design standards that are evaluated for these uh, 
higher density structures to ensure that you know they're well designed and are compatible architecturally with some of the lower scale uh, projects right adjacent. So those are my comments on the transit overlay waiver. Uh, for the commercial, oh, one comment. Um, this is, I like that you've introduced the definition of temporary housing and transitional housing. I think maybe you need to clarify, my suggestions clarify that definition. I see that temporary housing was, you've got included shelters, low barrier navigation centers. Generally those types of uses are set at six months or lower uh, occupancy with exceptions because there's always those exceptions for the shelters and the and the navigation centers. And then you have defined transitional housing is generally six months or longer. To me, that would help differentiate a little bit more definition of temporary and transitional housing. And I think that conforms with kind of how these facilities are being operated, the rules. Um, let's see. Um, as, as I mentioned before, it would be nice to uh, provide information for public information about what the existing square foot of the shopping centers are so that people can compare, oh, this is not a significant uh, reduction in the retail. The priority is to preserve the retail space. And you might, if you know what the vacancy rate is, because some of these shopping centers, like at um, Marina Village, is there, there's a large vacancy rate. You know, so that kind of tells me that uh, retail is struggling as much as we would like more retail. Um, let's see, did that cover all my comments? Oh, I just wanted to um, throw out that there was a comment that I thought was a, I don't know how you really capture it in the Sony code, unfortunately, but there was a comments uh, by one of the, one of the um, in one of the letters about how can we ensure that the shopping centers, like the master plan are well designed so you have a good cluster of the retail, um, because, you know, you kind of still want a good cohesive, well-planned uh, shopping center if it gets redeveloped with housing. I don't know how you actually incorporate that into um, the zoning code. Maybe those become design standard if they can be defined as such. But I thought that comment was well taken uh, regarding the quality of these shopping centers as, as they incorporate or get introduced with residential uses. Those are my comments, I think. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, board member Rothenberg. Thank you all, uh, members of the public and, and the staff, of course. And I, I firstly um, just want to say there's not much left to, to comment on with all of that substantive input, but just to start the, the letter that uh, the director Thomas sent to housing and community development and cl clarifying all of the um, compliance with the uh, state state law and the approach of the city. I thought it really, not only was it accurate, but it also really explained the intent of everything that's gone on so far, as well as its institutional history. And for anyone who needs a primer on what did we do and why did we do it and how did it happen? It, I thought the, the letter really laid that out in an executive summary form that was you know, really excellent for the public and for us as well as the state. So thank you very much for that. I really don't have a lot to add to the um, thoughtful comments and, 
an experience of our of, of our August board, uh, a few things stood out to me. In particular, the uh, the comments by uh, Board Member Teague about consistency of definitions and references to state law. I thought that was really excellent, and you probably can't do that enough. It can it can repeat over and over, and very it's very helpful and it's not redundant. In in regard to lot coverage, I thought those comments were really interesting. Just looking. I, I don't think I missed it, but lot coverage in a zoning in a zoning ordinance or a zoning code, it's usually floor area ratio. But I don't think we have a definition for floor area ratio and introducing it now is probably a, a, a excessive. But uh, and you, I'm certain that you've looked at other model housing elements as to how as to how um, some of these things are defined. But certainly in in the lot in the definition for lot, which is quite substantive on page nine, uh, there might be a way to further define um, lot coverage in the different districts as you described it, so that it's as uh, in, uh, inclusive as possible for all of the eventualities that you were trying trying to describe, and and the same thing for you know how you're how how you're defining the requirements. Uh, bedrooms or um, square footage requirements. I thought that was that was really excellent, and it will help it, um, uh, define the zone, the zoning ordinance when it's finally um, uh, finished. The the comments about transit overlay districts that uh, Board Member Teak had. I think this very interesting way of of looking at a a uh, a. Um, fungible and um, um, a working document as as uh, you know bus uh, routes change and other types of transit are introduced however you define that it probably could be enhanced so that it takes into account as he said the changes that happen over time and particularly in terms of of its number of lanes he, he described the uh, the stations you know the big the big streets, boulevards, you might call them, um, but uh, it, that has a lot of potential actually for the long-term development, use, and enjoyment of the whole island by all the people and the different businesses that are here. So I thought those all the comments that were um, offered were really excellent. Appreciate the passion of the public, and please be assured that as volunteers, I, I myself am retired. Uh, pub public public sector employee that um, it, it, everything is done completely consistent with state law and with the goodwill and professionalism that we invest in our city. And thank you all. That's the end of my comments. Thank you, Board Member Rothinger. Uh, yeah, I appreciate all of staff's hard work on this. I think that uh, you know it's it's through a lot of commitment and um, really public outreach that we've reached this point. It hasn't been done in a vacuum. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that even with some of the rezoning proposals specific to shopping centers, um, you know, the city has reached out to these owners to discuss with them the potential opportunities. And it's not a theoretical exercise. This is a, this is quite, um, clearly 
an exercise in being practical and what can be achieved under the parameters that have been handed to us by the state and knowing how to um, thread the needle here in, in making sure that we're able to do this in a way that will be beneficial um, for the city and, and for the communities that live in these in, in different parts of the city. So uh, I really appreciate um, the sensitivity that the, uh, that the planning staff has gone about um, executing this, uh, this, this work. Uh, I, th I think most of the comments have been uh, shared that I would have with, with um, my fellow board members. I, I think there's just a few clerical things or one, one thing towards the end, page um, 85, uh, going on to 86, bottom of 85, going on to 86. I think it's just some of the typing probably got um, not uh, completed at, at, at the top of page 86, which says shopping center site speed zoned with new. Uh, I believe it was with new zoning designation, just didn't carry over um, or got somehow repeated. Um, but that's that's minor. <laughs> that, that that can be that can be fixed. Uh, and then I think the only other um, thing that I had within here is um, there was there's a description of you know how much retail that we want to hold on to versus how much additional square footage uh, could be added to it for the multifamily use. Um, and I think Andrew, you had described a few different scenarios of how we how we tackle that. Um, I am curious to some of the ways that what was it also supported by your discussions with the owners of these properties um, as far as their um, what, what they even envisioned as the potential for these sites? Um, yes, we've had, um, you know, more conversation with some owners than others. I mean, uh, I thank you for recognizing that, and it's it's super important. Um, you know, so different different owners are showing, a, you know, different levels of <laughs> sort of, you know, participation. Um, you know, we've had extensive conversations, and they continue with South Shore. Um, we've uh, been talking a little bit to the Harbor Bay um, owners. Um, just today talked, oh, this is actually not, this is in Webster Street, the owner of the Neptune Plaza, you know, talked to them today. So I, look, I think uh, for the multifamily overlay, this is clearly something that, um, you know, as, since our, it really has, we've really started to focus on since our last planning board meeting at the Harbor Bay community meetings, it really came up and it really sort of drove it home. Like, wow, we need this. And especially when you think about Bay Farm Island, like we need a shopping center. Like if we lose our shopping center, you know, that is really going to be a problem. So um, I think what we can do for the next meeting is come back as, as board member T had asked um, with just a more basic, or maybe it was board member Hom, just much more specific information, total number of square feet, total amount of vacancy, if we can get it for you for each of these four shopping centers. Um, you know, and then kind of one or two different ways of approaching it. I mean, we could just come up with a ratio, you know, X number of square feet per acre, 
we could do it that way. Um, or we could do it more customized. I mean, we're really, we're talking about four shopping centers. Um, and we can also, if we customize and think about what that minimum amount is, um, they can be customized based on feedback from the property owners themselves, right? Um, the other just thought just for the planning board and, and for the public as we think about this and continue to talk about the shopping center overlay is, you know, the other key thing that we staff felt was super important, a grocery store of a minimum size of, I think what we have in there, 25,000 square feet or something like that. Like it ain't a shopping center if it doesn't have a really good shopping, you know, grocery store. Um, we need grocery stores. If there's other key uses, key things that you're thinking about or that you think it's important to keep, um, you know, I think we want to try to articulate those as much as we can while still leaving enough flexibility for market changes in the market. Sounds good. Okay, thank you. Um, and appreciate this item coming up as a, uh, for public uh, workshop. Yeah, if I may, thank you very much for all these comments. I've taken several pages of notes here. Um, really appreciate all the um, fact that you all have been reading through this. Um, we'll the next we'll be back first meeting in July. So we'll we'll publish another version. Um, a lot of the cleanups that you all talked about, we will have taken care of. Um, I just wanted to highlight a couple quick things. The conversation tonight about the transit overlay is really helpful. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure between Alan and I, we've picked up all sorts of good ideas just based on tonight's um, hearings and your thoughts. Um, the cleanup and, and, and thinking about building coverage in the R1 through R6, that's something we were sort of struggling with um, hearing from the board tonight, sort of for me personally, is like, yeah, we need to think about that building coverage and that, those relationships. Um, and, um, and then the other thing, I just want to thank Karen Bay and, and also the comments of the planning board about the retail, the importance of the ground floor retail, the importance of, yes, we need housing. We desperately need housing. We've got to, that's this whole purpose is to, this whole effort is about making it possible for people to build housing. But boy, we don't want to do it at the expense of our retail space, our commercial space. We need to do everything possible to um, keep our retail. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't sure, um, Board Member Teague and, and anyone else, um, if, you, if everyone was aware that in the general provisions section, page 62 is the general provision that we wrote about um, if you want to adaptively reuse your existing building, we put in general provisions, any residential building, any commercial building that is where the zoning allows residential, it is essentially unlimited density. Um, that's an important provision. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't getting missed in, in the review because we didn't write it in every single zoning district. So you might've expected to see it in each district. What we did is we put in general provisions because it applies to every zoning district. Um, so I- um, Andrew? Yeah. And then Alan's showing that section. It's page yeah, 62, the, the, I think. The, I read that section and then I looked at section 3037-2B and I said, well, that doesn't quite match. So, because when you go there, you go, and where the improvements meet the exemption, which, doesn't really cover exempting from adding a new unit. 
Okay, so, let me let me just take a minute about that. What we are saying is, if you're adaptively reusing an existing yeah. building, there's no density standard. Now that doesn't mean, and then so the next obvious question is, yeah, but what if I'm adding an addition? What if I need to add a few doors or windows or even a, a extra square feet to make my building bigger? I wanna make it bigger when I add all those units. And so what we were trying to say here, and we can be more clear is, if the change to your building is so small that it's exempt from design review, then it's okay. But if, okay. if you're changing yeah. your building such that it triggers design review, you're doing a second story addition, well, then this doesn't apply to you. Yeah. So that, I, I guess I don't understand the exemptions because it's not, I wasn't talking about changing any of the outside, just adding new units and reconfiguring inside stuff wasn't clear that that is an exemption. Yeah, well, we could, we should, we can, that's a good point. We can make that clear. Cause okay. what we were thinking is, oh, well, interior remodeling of an existing building to let's say add new walls, new units, that's gonna be exempt from design review because it's an interior change, no change to the exterior. So that's what we were assuming, but it's a good point. We should make that clear in both. Well, what we wanted to address here too is often when you're adding units, you're adding egress windows, doors re required by the residential code. And so we want to be able to clarify that those items, which are currently exempt from design review under 30-37.2, would apply to these situations. But if you're building a second story to add another unit, well, then that second story currently is subject to design review. And therefore would be subject to the density standard Correct. of the underlying district if that's what you want to do. But if you just want to keep the existing building form essentially as is, then that's really what, that's our preference. Yeah. So we okay. want to encourage it. Thanks. Uh, the, uh, we added a new phrase here called housing unit. So we have dwelling units, residential units, shared living <laughs> units, and housing units. So yeah, we'll work knowing on those which one which would be really helpful. Okay, time to end this workshop. <laughs> but you you could add a definition. You could add a definition for adaptive reuse, as the way I hear um, board member Teak's comment, and just and just um, explain in simple English in that section what it means. It includes yep. this and it excludes that because I think it would enhance. That's actually pretty big. That's a big one. Because it is very so, big. There's so many. That's sort of, um, you know, I'd say it, it, it's perceived poorly because it's it, it seems threatening, but in fact, it's it's an opportunity, and for um, for the types of homeowners that we've had speak to the board about, well, like, you know, how, how do I stay in my house? I live in a great big house, and everybody's gone, and then it also meets our housing needs to facilitate the use of that. Um, that property in an appropriate way that helps the, the owner as well as other members of the public. So perhaps you can define that uh, non-prescriptively, but in a, you know, we might say like, you know, how in a performance type of language, both in the definitions and in the section itself, which it probably um, could be done with, with a few subsections. Yeah. And Andrew, think about I want to adapt it to be a shared living environment. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point, right? 
Thank you. No, I just wanted to point this out. Um, it's a very important provision I, I, for all the reasons that um, Board Member Rothenberg pointed out. But I think also it's one of those sections that I just over the last you know couple of years, I mean, this conversation started back when we were doing the general plan together. This concept that a lot of people I think you know resonated is we want to get more housing units, but we want to keep our existing form, the scale of our buildings, the size of our buildings. Our, we love our existing buildings. So if we can get more units built within those, the, those envelopes, those existing buildings, that's the best scenario. That's the best scenario. So we, you know, this, we think this provision, you know, it's only one sentence, but we think it's very powerful and we think it kind of, you know, is is what a lot of people in Alameda, you know, this would be their preferred strategy to try to get housing. We know it doesn't, it's not going to be enough to meet the arena, but it's certainly a way of increasing housing units in neighborhoods in a way that people don't feel like, oh, or, you know, now we're building super tall buildings or changing the physical character. Okay, with that, I will stop talking. Um, thank you so much, Planning Board. Um, as always, your input and, and observations and, and review is super helpful. And Alan and I and our other um, staff members, there's five of us working on this, we'll just we'll, we'll jump right back into it tomorrow. And um, you'll see us again on this uh, first meeting in July. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Okay, let's move on to the next agenda item, uh, which are the minutes and item 8A, draft meeting minutes for March 14th, 2022. Uh, we'll first have any board questions or clarifications and then open it up for public comment. Uh, if you'd like to speak, raise your hand on this item. Uh, seeing that there's no hands raised. Let's open it up for public comment. If you'd like to speak on these minutes, please raise your hand. As I guess seeing no hands raised, we'll close the public section of this um, item. And uh, board member T. I, I move to approve the minutes. Okay. Second. Okay, we have a motion from board member Teak to approve and board member Rothenberg second. Uh, why don't we take a vote? Board member Cisneros. Aye. Curtis. Aye. Hong. Aye. Rothenberg. Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Sahaba. Aye. That motion passes. Okay, thank you. Uh, Next item, staff communications. Anything on 9A or 9B, future public meetings from staff? Uh, nothing really remarkable on 9A. Uh, 9B, your next meeting is uh, should be a light agenda. We have annual reports on various projects um, that we plan to present. And then following that first meeting in July, I believe that's the 11th, we plan to come back with um, a revised package of the zoning amendments with the cleanups that we've been talking about. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, any, uh, well, uh, item 10, written communications. I don't see anything under that. So we'll go to 
board communications, board members may speak on, um, make clarifications or make brief announcements of their activities. Um, uh, any board members want to speak, please raise your hand. Board member T. Uh, thank you. Um, Alan Ty and I spoke earlier about criteria for being on the consent calendar. Um, so one of the rubrics that he and I discussed was if it's an item that staff would have approved and put on the action list, that that seemed to be a very valid reason to be on the consent calendar. Anything that is really a ministerial rubber stamp, like the accepting the easement kind of thing being on the consent calendar. Um, whether the board needs to do something in the bylaws or something, but I just felt that we needed a little bit more spoken rules for how things end up on consent versus not. We've had a lot of consent items lately that normally we haven't had. So I just wanted to convey that to the rest of the board. Uh, and then uh, I would appreciate it if uh, when we adjourn the meeting, we adjourn it in support of Pride Month. Even locally, we've had some hate activities in San Lorenzo. Uh, that's just despicable. So um, I would appreciate that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Uh, any, any other communication? No? Okay. Oral communication. Uh, anyone may address the board on a topic that hasn't been on this agenda uh, by raising your hand. Uh, do you have any speakers from the public? Okay, seeing none before no. we adjourn. Sorry? Oh, okay. sorry, there was, there's no public speakers. No public speakers, okay, thank you. Okay, uh, before we adjourn, yes, let's please recognize this month, this Pride Month, uh, and hope everyone stays safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye, everybody.